LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. I'm your host, Chris Swain, here with Robbie Gallaty, the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church, founder and president of Replicate Ministries. On the podcast today, we are excited. It's it's a new year. It's 2019. We want to talk about something that is crucial for every church. Mm. But when you're starting, and when it's when it's January, let's just be honest. You've eaten a lot of bad food. You yes. you potentially spent a lot of money. Hopefully, you have. You're a good steward of your finances. Some may have overspent. Right. Uh, but you you feel bad somewhere in the middle of the holiday, and you think January one going on a diet. I'm Every getting, year. I'm going to get out there and start jogging with my AirPods that I got for Christmas. Well, the problem is you come out of Donut December, right? which is what we're coming out of <laughs> Donut now. December has laid waste to your body. It's taking a toll. And it's time to lift weights, start running, launch all these new initiatives in life, at least for a month. And then February, you can go back. But, you know, at least for January. But uh, seriously, when we think about the church... In the context of the church, now is when we begin to launch these initiatives. Hmm. Let's read through the Bible this year. Let's be a congregation this year that launches well and reaches more people than we've ever reached. Yes. Let's grow bigger than we've ever been. Let's let's embrace things that, you know, it, we've talked about them in the past, but let's go to the next level. Okay. And I think the challenge is when we do these things is people are kind of used to that cycle. The same way they're used to giving up on their workout plan in February. Yeah. So how do we sustain an initiative as we launch the new year? How do we sustain an initiative that helps disciple our people, mobilizes them to do the things that we know we should be doing as disciples of Christ and grow the church in essence? So it's it's kind of a big question that has a lot of issues that go along with it. The busyness of our people and the elements that they have going on uh, on in life, helping them understand that there's a pathway to follow. Yeah. Um, in terms of discipleship. So just jump right in here and let's begin. begin well, here's the thing. Okay, so we're coming on the, the front end here of the largest, prayerfully for most churches, the largest attendance you're going to see all year. Right, January and February. That's when the most attendance. Sure. Other uh, than some of those big days like Easter, Christmas, Mother's Day, you know, yeah. anomalies. Right, right. This will be the consistent large attendance days. Right. Okay, so what happens? Most pastors are going to have a one-sided approach to this. Okay, M- meaning the front side uh, of the attendance, and that is we're going to try to get as many people in the church. Right. We're going to try to get people to make a quick decision for salvation if they're lost. Yeah. And then we're going to leave them to figure out their Christian life from that point on even though we're not thinking that right that's typically the process that takes place and just so you guys know we, when we talk through these things we are not in any way judging others we're talking about the mistakes we've made we're Absolutely. talking about the mindset that we have had yes that if we're not careful it becomes that metric of how do I get them in so that I can then reach them and then as you've said many times and then reach their friends and then reach their friends which we want to do it's not that we don't want to do that it's just that you know and that's why you're saying this if we only focus on that we're going to have the challenge of 
people leaving as quickly as they come. Okay, let me tell you why. This brings up a great point. Let me tell you why baptism alone is not the goal for the Christian church, okay? Because a lot of a lot of us will say, and as pastoral ministry, if you can get a person saved and you can get them baptized, that's when you high five, that's when you reach the goal, that's when success happens in your church. But yes. here's the challenge, okay? Again, I've quoted this book before. I went back, went back and reread the book, Chris, over the holidays, okay? Yes. And the book is called The Patient Ferment of the Church, okay? Patient Ferment. You've mentioned this in a few podcasts. So. Not the firmament. No. <laughs> You As I've wrongly said, you yes, not the matter firmament. Matter I'm going to write a book called The Patient Firmament of the Church, just in case. Well, Southern said. Baptists aren't going to buy that because it has to do with wine. But anyway, but anyway, okay. It's, no, that's firmament. <laughs> it may be a little early in the morning. It is definitely early in the morning. Yes, no, the firmament they will buy. The firmament they won't buy. Okay, here's, here's the firmament of the church, okay? It's basically this idea that today we live in a fast-paced, have-it-now, want-it-my-way culture. Yes. The first, second, third century church leaders realized that the key to church growth was patience, okay? Mm. Let me give you one example. Patience in baptism. Yeah. This book charts, and I I just encourage you to pick it up if you haven't read it. This book charts how... In the first century, they never, if ever, baptized people immediately. Mm. Okay? Never. Okay, here's... Now, some people are going to say, wait a minute now, wait a minute. What about Acts chapter 2? I was, gonna, I was going You're right there. You're going right there. That's right. Acts chapter 2, we have biblical precedence for this. They baptized people immediately. Yeah. Yes, they did. But here's what you got to understand. And I started... This finally clicked in my mind, because I've always thought that. You can't say you, you shouldn't baptize someone immediately, because they did in the Bible. Yeah. But here's the difference, Chris, and this is a big difference. The people they baptize in Acts chapter 2... And by the way, in November, we just came back from Israel. I actually stood on those steps where those baptistries, those mikvahs, those those pools were, and right. preached and taught on Acts chapter 2 sermon. So I was just there at this place. But here's the difference, Chris. All of those 3,000 people who came to faith in Christ yeah. and believed Jesus as the Messiah were not non-believers or pagans before. Okay, They weren't pagans in a sense where they didn't know the things of God. Right. These were Jewish-born individuals mm-hmm. who understood the scriptures and knew the scriptures better than most Christians today. Yeah. They had a handle on the Bible. They knew the prophetic Psalms. They knew the prophetic uh, preaching of Isaiah. Right. They knew the coming of Malachi with John the Baptist, Messiah-like figure. They understood the Bible well. So when when Peter gets up and says, this one whom you crucified is both God and Lord, he's the Messiah you've been waiting for. Here's what happened. They didn't have to learn a bunch of information on the fly. They actually had light bulbs going off on information they were raised in from birth. Mm. Okay? So so it wasn't, hey, you have to learn all of systematic theology. You have to learn all of these things about Christology. They knew all those things. They just needed to see, in a sense, they had blanks where the Messiah was right. because he didn't have a name. And Got Peter it. says, where those blanks are, fill in the name. Now, no, the second thing you're thinking, what about the Philippian eunuch? You're right. I'm already ahead of you. I'm already ahead of you because I've already done this. I've, I've already thought this in my mind. The Philippian eunuch, okay? What is the Philippian eunuch doing when Philip comes to him? Traveling. Traveling with what in his hand? Do you remember? I don't I do not He's recall. reading Isaiah. Ah, uh, okay. He's reading the Bible, okay? Yeah. This isn't no 
pagan guy from a paganistic culture who's never heard the name Jesus before, has sure. no understanding of the Bible. This is a man who's actually reading the Bible. He understands the Jewish culture. He understands the scriptures. And again, Philip comes and says, here's the deal. These blanks you have in your mind of who the Messiah's name is, we know who he is. We've seen him. We've been with him. His name's Jesus again. Mm -hmm. And then he's baptized. Never, watch this, never do you have a situation where a person has to, on the fly, Mm -hmm. hear the gospel, and in a moment's response time, has to understand the gospel, and in a moment's time, have all the answers right, say amen and yes at the right places, and then you baptize them immediately. Okay, so let's go to the first church. Here's what they did. They actually waited, this is going to blow your mind, they actually waited three to four years. <laughs> wow. Listen, to baptize people. Now, why would wow. they do Then that's foreign. I know people say, oh, that's the yeah. craziest thing in the You're world. You're not asking every church to do that in America. I'm not even saying we're doing right, this. Right. I'm we're just, not doing that. I'm right. just presenting yeah. the facts. You're just wanting to say, here's the historical record. So as we talk through this, it makes a little more no, sense. No, I'm going to give you an application point okay. at the end, but here's the thing we've got to think about. Okay, they waited three years. Here's what they did. In that three-year period, they actually assigned new people who were seeking God, mm-hmm. who God was working in their heart, stirring in their heart for conversion. They actually were assigned a sponsor. Watch this or a disciple maker Mm. where this guy began to meet with them. Okay. Individually, maybe in a group and individually at times, but in a group where he would pour his life into that person. Yeah. And then you ready for this when it was time to be baptized. Cause remember baptism wasn't just flippantly going into the water, come up, you're wet. Yeah. Baptism was a big deal. It was a, it was an outward expression of a total surrender inwardly to Christ. Right. Okay. And back then, if you were baptized, it was a public display that you were cut off from the culture. You were cut off from food and jobs. It was hard to work. I mean, it was a big deal. Right. Okay. So what they did is when the sponsor worked with you and invested in you and spent time with you for three to four years, guess who came with you to the church pastor? and vouch for you to say, Mr. Chris Swain, I've been with him for three years. Mm -hmm. He's a man who loves his spouse. He's a man who lives for the gospel. He's not ashamed of the message of Christ. He's an honest man who lives with integrity. I see Christ working in his Mm -hmm. life. He's a candidate to be baptized. Wow. Now, very different culture from our own. Very different culture. Now, I know this is going to catch people. Go, what are you talking about? You say we shouldn't baptize. I'm not saying all that, but here's what I'm saying. It's interesting that even in the first, second, and third century, mm-hmm. they knew the importance of discipleship. Now, watch this. Here's another thing going to blow you away. It's going to catch you off guard. Might as well go for it. We already went for one. May as well. Might as well. Here's the second thing that the, the book was saying. Never, except in one place, did they find writings in the first, second, and third century of a pastor or a priest or a leader telling the people to go evangelize the loss. Hmm. Never. You never have a pastor saying, we need to go share the gospel with our lost friends. So someone listening to the podcast right now is thinking, Robbie Gallaty is telling me not to go share the gospel. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> Just be clear. Be clear. Yeah, you yeah. know it's going to happen. I know. That. Do they already say that about me. But notice what they say. Here's what they say. It's so amazing. They believed, watch this, that the greatest apologetic The greatest thing that would draw a lost people to Christ was not standing up on a platform, open air preaching, telling people they're going to hell. Mm -hmm. Okay. They, because if they did that, they were going to die. 
This is a different right. culture than today, okay? The greatest, the greatest evangelistic tool, and believe me, they were evangelistic, and believe me, they shared their faith, but they weren't mobilized to do this. They weren't given tactics and ways to, get, to share their faith. Here's, right. what they, here's what was the greatest evangelistic tool they had. What do you think it was? Their life they were living. The life. <laughs> I mean, if, I, if the, I've learned anything, dude, that's going to be it's the life. Listen, be my answer. <laughs> you ready for this? The American church can learn a lot from this. The greatest turnoff today in the American church to a lost world. You know what it is? Is saying Jesus and then living a life contrary you know, man, to Man, you are on it this morning. I feel like there's a quote out you there. You are on it this morning. <laughs> People who profess Christ with their lips, but their lifestyle proves otherwise. Mm. That's the greatest turnoff to a lost world today. Okay? Yep. Now, here's the, here's the reality of what we're living in. I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but here's the reality of what we're living in. We're living in a third culture, okay? There's different cultures. I'm reading this book called The Disappearing Church. Uh, and here's what this guy said, Chris, which is really amazing. He said, the first culture that the early church ministered to, mm-hmm. this was a culture that had polytheistic beliefs. Multiple they, gods. Multiple gods. So they believed in multiple gods. The, the Parthenon's a perfect example. The Greeks couldn't decide who was the best. Mm. So why not have a buffet? Right. Let's just bring them all in. Bring them all. Yeah, just for safekeeping, right? It's like a lucky rabbit's foot. Let's just have them all, okay? So you have the first culture, okay? Which is basically this idea that you have multiple gods. Uh, you survive by turning to the gods. And basically, the world is full of these spiritual forces. Uh, the, in, the individual is kind of a victim of their own fate. Right. And uh, basically, uh, the world is frightening and scary, okay? So this is kind of the first culture world. This is the world Jesus and the disciples ministered in. Okay. Today, we move beyond the first culture. Actually, years ago, mm-hmm. we moved to a second culture world. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's the second culture world. This is a world in America where it's rooted in Judeo-Christian beliefs. There's one God. The universe is arranged around this God. Okay, uh, they have certain rules and regulations. If you follow these, you'll be blessed. If you don't follow these, you'll be cursed in a sense. And the peace and security comes to the person through worshiping and obeying God's command of the world. That's the second culture. Yeah. But here's the problem. We don't live in that culture anymore. Hmm. We live in what the author says is the third culture, okay? Which is what? What is the third culture? The third culture is a neo-Christian culture or or, or, or neo-Orthodox culture. I mean, it's a, it's a new way to do church. It's a yeah. new way to think, okay? Here's what, this, here, here's what this third culture believes. They believe that there's no great truth. Hmm. They believe that there's no sacred order. That, uh, that, that, that the old ways of doing church, the authority of one God and an individual submitting to that God, that's old school. Mm. We, we make our own choices. We make our own world. We create our own uh, culture we live in. And here's what they believe. That the center of the universe compared to the second culture, which was right. God, guess who the center of the universe is? Yourself. The individual. That's right, right? So have it your way. This is familiar. I feel like I've read about this in the Bible. Have it your way, have it now. Okay, you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with anything we're talking about here? That's right, I am wondering that. Let me bring it back to, let me bring it back, okay? Here's, we're getting to a point here. We are. Here's the point. That third culture that we live in today, which is basically individualistic, Mm -hmm. it's all about me. That culture wants an app for everything. Mm. Think about it. My son, Rig, he's 10 years old. He's growing up in a culture where if he if he's bored, he's got an app for instantly. that. Instantly, I mean, think about it. Yeah, instantly. instantly. Has, well, and here's the thing about this culture, and I've found 
Every leader I talk to, I've trained in in hundreds of churches, trained thousands of people, and I say that to only set that up as foundation for what I hear from all of these people in all these churches. Yeah. We are too busy. Oh, man. Chris, how are we going to ask our people to do a third meeting? We're already meeting on Sunday. We're meeting for for our life groups. And you're saying now we need to do a discipleship group. That's another hour in the week. I know. And, and, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, maybe you can do this or, you know, redeem the time or refocus and repurpose times that we already meet. We've we've given some of these answers, but here's what it really boils down to. Have you died to yourself, Mm. taken up the cross and followed Jesus? (laughs) Because if you've surrendered your life to Christ, then the priority should be Christ. Mm. And everything else should be getting the excuse, I'm too busy. Oh, wow. Come on. And that just frustrates me so much because I think what we've done as staff and church leaders is we're trying to cater to that schedule, that challenge of time. Instead of saying, are you a believer who's following Christ and giving him your life? Yeah. Or are you someone who's trying to plug the church into your already busy life? And it really totally revolves around what you're saying right now. Because of the culture we live in, it's all about me and I, you know, in essence, we are the God in this scenario. Everything should be kind of bowing down to, okay, here's what I need to do. And the church has got to do the same thing. I, I'm going to give the church the same priority that I might give to school or sadly, even less. Yeah. I'm going to give the church the same priority as I give my work or my family or even less. And, yeah. and here's the thing. I'm not talking about church schedules and church programs. I know a lot of churches do a lot of stuff and we think, is this really worth it? Is this really needed? But the bottom line is this, if you're not making disciples and you're not prioritizing your time to make disciples, you are not following Jesus. And if you're not following Jesus, you really need to ask a more basic question. Do I know Christ? Am I a Christian? Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, okay. Here's the thing. We have made, we have tried to make church as accessible and is simple and is easy for people to participate in. Right. We try to reduce it to the irreducible minimum. Yes. Like, like think about that. You're, you're on it here because instead of saying, what is it going to take for me to grow into the image of Christ? Hmm. Okay. What, what, what are the steps that I need to take? What are the groups I need to be involved in? We say, what is the, what is the least amount of commitment that a person <laughs> exactly. can do to come to my church? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And listen, some churches have done that. Okay. Yes. Let, let's say for build it. our church uh, strategy okay. and, and and pathway and system around your busy schedule. Okay. Let me give you a perfect example. Not to name churches, but let me name one: Willow Creek. Okay. Right. Willow Creek, and listen, this is by their own admission. Sure. They did a study upon themselves called the Move Study. Okay, mm-hmm. it's a book. You can buy this book because I think it's called the Move Move yep. Study, or yeah, sure. I think that's what it's called. So basically, they hired an outside consulting firm years ago at the height of the movement of Willow Creek. Right. Okay. Now you remember Willow Creek brought into the world the seeker friendly, mm-hmm. uh, felt needs kind of right. deal. They weren't going to preach on sin. They weren't going to sure. offend anybody. They're going to make it easy to, to be a part a of the huge church. Church grew a huge congregation. Thousands attending, Thousands. and many church leaders out there listening to this podcast have either been a part of the Willow Creek Association, may still be. Look at them as a leader. Say, "This is helping me you ready build for this? my church." Long Hollow, years, years and years ago. Right. Remember this in in the video we just saw of our documentary of our right. church. Long Hollow sent a multiple groups to right. Willow Creek, sure, because to figure out what's going on. Now, right. I'm not saying the whole model's wrong or right. bad. Okay, they had. I think they had good this intentions. Is what they're saying about their own model, right? right. They're saying this. But 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 here's the deal, Willow Creek. They had, I think, they wanted to reach people. They had a sure. desire to reach lost people. But here's the reality: they dumbed it down so much by their own admission that they actually brought this outside consulting firm in. And here's the results they found. And, and this is what the quote said: they realized that they spent millions of dollars right. and exerted hours and hours of energy 
and they did not produce people who could feed themselves. Hmm. They had converts, but they didn't have Christ followers, okay? And here's what they said. What we needed to do was this. When a person crossed the threshold of faith, Mm -hmm. we needed to teach them how to read the Bible for themselves, apply the Bible, and obey the Bible, and we failed to do that, Mm. okay? So here's the thing. We live in a culture today of solutionism. That's what one person called it. I think a a guy said the phenomenon of today. sounds Yeah, yeah. Morozov, I think is his name, says we live in a culture today of solutionism. Basically, we can find an app or a resource that will make our problems disappear, right? Mm. Now, the problem is, if we take that model or that mindset to the church, or to take that mindset to our Christian life, then we lose a couple of things. One, we lose faith. Mm. Faith faith gone. Well, I don't need faith when I've got sight on an iPhone to find an app. And we lose patience, Mm. okay? See, the Christian life is not an app to download. It's a path to follow, that's why discipleship is so necessary. Back to the first point sure. I said, but I was getting at. If, let's kind of bring this kind of to, 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 to a full, full sure. circle. If, if we began with, if we live in a third culture where people now are beyond the typical Christian church, they've moved beyond that, okay? Mm-hmm. What they're looking for is not a presentation that you're going to give them on an airplane with crafty words that you're going to say at the right place to convince them or manipulate. That's not what they're wanting. Right. They're looking for someone who's going to, like the first, second, and third century, live out the faith they believe in, mm. okay? To, to live the way they say they are, to love the way Jesus loved. That's what's attractive to a lost world, Chris. And the only way I found mm. to get Christians to live that way is through intense face-to-face accountability. Hmm. It's not casual Christianity from consumerism to show up on a Sunday and live like you want. It is intentional, smaller groups of discipling relationships where you and I look face-to-face with guys and say, let me ask you a question. Did you share your faith or live on mission this week with a lost person? Did you even try? Did you love your wife as Christ loved the church? Why? Because the gospel messages preach Mm -hmm. through healthy marriages. Did you spend time discipling your kids, which is plan A, not the church doing it, but you. You see what I'm saying? It's asking these questions consistently. So as leaders in the church, launching this new year of 2019, launching any new year or season in ministry, the key has got to be focusing on discipleship at that micro level in order to have maximum impact so that you're equipping the people to do the work of the ministry and you're not bearing that burden yourself. Uh, And and that's, that's the key. So I want to talk about the leadership podcast network, leadership podcast network partner that we want to focus on this week. Each week we talk about one of the the seven other ministries that we we love partnering with for yes. our podcast. It's an honor this week, to be a part of it. It's Group Answers nice. with co-hosts Chris Surratt and Brian Daniel. They help train you, resource you, encourage uh, small group leaders in each episode. So if you've got leaders in your church who are leading small groups or Sunday school classes, these guys are really smart. They know what they're talking about, and they have a lot of guests on. So even if they don't know what they're talking about, the guest does. <laughs> well, and... I'm kidding, I'm kidding. These and guys know a lot. And we've been on the program before. That's it's right. a great program. If you haven't checked it out, I encourage you to do so. It is good. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty. If you don't mind, take a moment to subscribe and share the podcast. You can find out more about disciple making, resources related to disciple making, and our customized training on our website at replicate.org.